this morning. The title is When Answers Don't Fit the Questions. And it comes from the 28th chapter of the book of Job. I begin with the 20th verse. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all the living and concealed from the birds of the air. God understands the way of it, and God knows its place. For God looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God gave the wind its weight and appointed out the waters by measure, when God made a decree of to rain and a way for the thunderbolt, then God saw it, declared it, established it, and searched it out. And God said to humankind, Truly, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. In the name of God, present in all the moments of life, amen. I have spent much of my ministerial career, almost 50 years now, trying to avoid a section of the Bible that I don't like much, but avoid no longer. The events all around me, from COVID, to the almost daily chaos that we live with, to the pain and suffering today in Israel-Palestine, forces me to look deeply at a section of the Bible that I have largely ignored. So yes, Although I'm a minister, I am like you. There are parts of the Bible that I like and parts I don't like quite as much. Usually the verses I like are those that draw from me the exclamation, that's what I always thought. The book of Job is not one of those books. I remember first seriously encountering Job back in a college theology course. Job's story begins with this introduction. A man from the land of Uz, blameless and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil. That's the Bible's way of saying that Job was a good man, a very good man a religious man with a large family and much property. But then, Job's world collapses. In six short verses, he loses everything. 
And yet, despite all that, Job is philosophical about his loss. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But things, as things sometimes do, got only worse. Job is struck down with a hideous illness, the COVID or the cancer of his day. In utter misery, Mrs. Job advises, curse God and die. And still, Job remains faithful, though miserable. I will complain out of my bitterness to the God I loathe my life. For 30 chapters, Job lifts up his complaints. Something has gone wrong with the world. That we know. Job obeyed. Job did right. And for this, he receives utter misery. He pleads for God to come and explain, at least explain why. Job begs God to meet him at court, the ultimate supreme court. I will speak to the Almighty and argue my case with God. In those college years, I was attracted to Job. He sounded like a primitive John Paul Sartre with all his bitter questioning. And of course, nothing like that had ever happened to me. But I wasn't such a fool as to be deaf to Job's questions. I knew, even in those carefree years, that Job was raising perhaps the biggest, deepest questions that anyone asks. Is God good? If God is good, why is there suffering? Why doesn't God do something? Job's questions challenged my religion. I had gotten the impression, like perhaps you have, that the purpose of religion was to answer, or at least stifle, our questions. Religious people aren't supposed to doubt, to raise, to shake a fist, and scream at the darkness. Religious people have the right answers, the correct biblical verse on the tips of their tongue, a right reply to every sticky dilemma in life. It is just God's will. You must accept it in faith. Religious people have answers, not questions but not here in the book of Job. Here was Job shaking his fist, stomping his feet, raging, wanting to know why and wanting to know now. And I loved him for it. All those sweet, simplistic, pious answers of his Bible-waving friends melt before Job's questions. 
And I hear Job ask, where shall wisdom be found? Where is a place of understanding? Humanity doesn't seem to know the way of it. It is not found in the land of the living. It cannot be gotten for gold, says Job. Okay. What do you think of this Old Testament book of Job? I know that the outlook is a bit bleak, a tad nihilistic. But isn't the honesty refreshing? None of this pious, sentimental, religious gibberish for Job. No papering over doubt's great chasm with sweet cliches. Here is honesty, reality, and it's in the Bible. I didn't know a lot in college, but I knew that in Job, I had come face to face with some of the toughest, most threatening questions I would ever ask or be asked. But what is the purpose of education if not to raise questions? And sometimes, sometimes we are more comfortable with our questions than with answers. Sometimes we seem to be so infatuated with our questions that we never get to the answers. Questions imply that everything is open, up for grabs, a matter of debate. Answers require us to put our money down, to face facts, to move out on the basis of what is, rather than to continue to groan about what ought to be. Living the answers can be more challenging than even raising the questions. Sometimes it requires more courage to live the answers that life puts to us than to raise the questions that we put to life, particularly when the answers don't fit what we thought was right. For years, I thought the most difficult thing in life was to live courageously with all of those big questions of life. But I learned that the most difficult thing in life is to live with the unexpected, unwanted answers that life gives to us. Like why do so many innocents die on 9-11? Or why do so many die in the most recent earthquake or this very day in Israel-Palestine? Using Job to illustrate, finally, 38 chapters later, God condescends to walk upon the stage and to answer Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. What is this man who speaks without knowledge? 
Gird up your loins like a man, and I will question you. Why is there undeserved suffering in the world, injustice, heartache? I will tell you why, says God. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me. Have you commanded the morning since you've been born? Do you know where the mountain goats bring forth? Behold the hippopotamus that I made, just as I made you. Can you draw a crocodile out with a hook or press down his tongue with a cord? That irrationality goes on for four chapters. This bragging and boasting that has absolutely nothing to do with what has gone before and certainly nothing to do with any of the questions that Job raises. What do you make of it? Hippopotamus? Isn't that just like the Bible? And finally, at last, we've gotten down to some really serious questions, some contemporary issues that leave us baffled and wondering and hurting, only to have them shouted down by what seems to be irrelevant, swaggering nonsense. Why do innocent people suffer? If God is good, why is there injustice? Can you create an ostrich? It isn't an answer. But it is the answer. The answer. The rabbis note that when God replies, God answers by parading numerous examples of a wondrous divine creativity behind all of life. We don't know, says the rabbi. We don't know. Get the point? We don't know. These utterly useless, impractical, apparently pointless creatures are evidence of the mysterious extravagance of God. God only knows why God wanted crocodiles. Don't ask me to explain unfairness, says God, to someone who doesn't even know how to make a sunrise, much less an ostrich plume. You say, that's not much of an answer. But you've heard worse. Like there is suffering because those people did bad things and are being punished. Are you suffering? You must have sinned. But we see it over and over again. The chaos that surrounds the questions, the death, the senselessness. And the TV evangelist replies, for some reason, God meant those people to be there and others to be absent. God could teach us then all a lesson. Most of us don't accept such answers. We have commissions of inquiry. We call out the FBI. Our inadequate, though socially acceptable answers 
how they crumble under the weight of why. We who have learned so well to ask questions, can we live without completely comprehensible answers? We've been taught to be good at questions, but are we good at living the answers, particularly when those answers don't fit into our scheme of things? Sometimes, when we don't get answers that make sense to us, we can get depressed or cynical. I'd rather die than live with nonsensical reality, says Job. But by the end, when his course in Reality 101 has concluded, Job says, though he slay me, yet I will trust God. Could we? Your life as mine may be fine this fall morning, but you know that the life we all know is not so on every morning. So can you, Job asks, whatever life may take from you this day, can you live without knowing all the answers to why? And more to the point, can you let God be God, even when God appears unreasonable? Because in the end, there are not always good, satisfying answers. Better than even questions, says Job, is the everlasting presence. The presence of the one who hung the moon and stars, who calls forth the lightning and the snow, who formed hippopotamus out of the mud and makes the donkey bray, walking beside you as you go, claiming that God did it all because of majestic, overwhelming love. Finally, that's all we know. God creates, God cares, God loves. And fortunately, for a people of God and the questions of life, that is wisdom enough. Amen.